If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. I'm very excited to have these, this pair come out. We, we booked them at the last minute, not the last minute, we wanted to get、um, to talk about this issue of live streaming.、Um, and, uh, and we also wanted to talk to,、uh, to Twitter about what's going on. They've had quite an up stuff. and stuff. They've had stuff going on.、Um, and so, sort of, the, this, the, the, the Periscope thing has really exploded, Meerkat, all these. Companies, and we want to know if it's here to stay and all kinds of things. And so,、uh, the eternal good sport, Dick Costo, is here with Kayvon of Periscope. Come on out. Thank you. Thank you. The seat. Thanks, sir. Oh, oh, oh sorry. Thank you. That was your first mistake,、um, right there.、Um, Five so, years and one month ago, Peter and I did our first interview the day we launched our ad products in New York. Oh, really? Wow.、And、now, here we are. It、again. was much healthier back then. Right.、Um, <laughs> so, I didn't、um, have consumption. So,、uh, <laughs> so we're going to, because we're a cliche, we're going to periscope part of this. Great.、Um, so, we're, we're going to let the audience periscope as well instead of sure, forbidding them to periscope. Periscope away. Do whatever you want. Steal content、uh, <laughs> happily. Um, so, I'm going to start the broadcast.、Um, here we are on stage so people can see what it's like.、Um, I hope this doesn't annoy you. But let's begin talking about this.、Um, because if it wasn't me stealing my own content, some of, we had、uh, Les Moonves here yesterday talking about this. And he seemed relatively irritated, but trying to hold it in、um, uh, about what happened with the fight. I would characterize Les's reaction as understanding you know, that.、Uh, Systems like Periscope are going to surround these events、right. and amplify them in much the same way that、uh, fantasy sports amplifies the event itself and is helpful to the event. And I think Les made that very clear. Yes, he did. But I think initially, from what I understand, he was a little more irritated with the idea because he's charging $100. Let's start with Kayvon. How do you look at this medium as in the issues around、uh, piracy and things like that? What are you thinking of when, you, when you're creating this medium? Well, I think, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's a terrible medium for piracy, frankly. Like, I think, you know, you see lots of headlines around people watching Game of Thrones on Periscope, and I think to myself, that's a pretty terrible way to watch Game of Thrones. For anyone who appreciates good content,、uh, sure, you can do it. The world is a big place. Sure, people will do it,、um, and we have to have processes and tools in place to do it.、But、do I think fundamentally it's going to be an issue and that, that people will want to do? No, because it actually just is a terrible way to watch content. You don't want to watch someone pointing 
to their 20-inch TV from 30 feet away. It's just right. not a good way to watch the content. And what about the fight and things like that that people are here? Because it, it is kind of, it works pretty it's well. for a live event. Live event, absolutely. I think it certainly is frictionless to start a broadcast. I think the reason why there was a fascination around the fight was, I mean, Periscope was so new that there, and it was such an unusual event in that there, it was exclusive, it was expensive, um, there were some cable network issues. So the, the confluence of all those things made it something that people talked about quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But I mean, we see the numbers and it's not something that, I mean, the people, the number of DMCA requests we get are just fractions of a fraction of a percent of the actual broadcast we have. Mm -hmm. So I think they make juicier headlines than it is like an actual issue in our product. So YouTube spent years, a lot of money, uh, building up a content ID system to handle DMCA's Digital Millennium Copyright Act, uh, to, to, to placate copyright owners who are upset about stuff going up on YouTube. Um, do you imagine that you guys are going to have to do that same kind of effort, and, and can, will that even work since these are live streams, right? It's, it's one thing for, for stuff that's been recorded that goes up on YouTube, it's relatively easy to take down. For something that's happening live, it seems like it's a very difficult process. I mean, our view on this is that we care about the relationships we have with our partners. Some of the best content we're seeing are from these content creators, these partners themselves. I mean, you talk about the Pacquiao fight, you know, HBO Boxing, the Showtime account, yeah. were actually periscoping before the event, and those were some of the best sort of um, pieces of content we saw surrounding that event, and we felt like it complemented the but, actual experience. But just mechanically, is there a way to do it where someone doesn't have to call in and say, there was a live stream, it was up two minutes ago? I think that there are, there's a lot of innovation to be had around the whole process of DMCA, uh, the, 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 the takedown process and the investigation process, and it's something that we're excited to work with our partners on, and it needs to be different than the tools that exist. I mean, Content ID worked in a world where pre-recorded content was the, was the thing, and, and I think in a world where you have pervasive mobile device access and people can start broadcast. The tool needs to be different and we're excited to work with our partners so, to, so to I think the beauty can I just yeah, tag, on, just, tag on to that. Go ahead, go ahead. I think the um, the great news is there are probably no other companies that um, the, um, the 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 networks um, the rights holders, the sports leagues would rather be working with on this kind of thing than us. We've been a great partner to them. Um, I'm been best time personally in those relationships. Um, you know, you heard that from Les yesterday. Um, uh, Adam Bain invests time in those relationships. Anthony Noto comes from the NFL. Katie Stanton works on these things. So uh, we're a technology company. We know how to we do a good job of building tools, and we know how to build tools, and we'll build the tools that we need to build here. Did you, would you feel you were able to explain that tweet um, when you did that? What, what, they took it oh, the wrong, yeah. took so it the wrong me, way tweet. Let me, just for context for everybody, I paid for the fight, and in Periscope, you can get notifications from your friends that, hey, I want you to watch this broadcast. And I got asked, hey, you should watch Darren Ravel from ESPN walking to his seat uh, in the arena. And I watched that, and I literally, I'm getting, it's happening again, I got goosebumps like watching it in anticipation of the fight. And then there was Manny Pacquiao in his dressing room getting ready. Uh, and then there's HBO Boxing and Showtime and on and on and on. And uh, so I, tweet, I sent this tweet out, said, and the winner is uh, Periscope. Um, everyone who knows me and anyone, uh, any one of our partners knows that uh, was about the beauty of Periscope and everything surrounding the event. Uh, in retrospect, should, would it have been nice to put more context in there? Sure. Yeah, that's the whole issue with Twitter, I think. Um, so, <laughs> um, so you're meeting with Les to talk about that and others? I meet with him regularly, and I, it sounds like for, as of yesterday, I'm buying him lunch. Yes, apparently. Yeah. apparently. And I'm coming, which will be Good. great. It'll be fun. Um, what, do you, what do you think they need to be assured by you, that you are protective of their rights, or are they still nervous in many ways of all these? Well, I think they want to see that we're, we understand uh, the issues that they're concerned about, and then we're working on them, and that's exactly what's happening.
Why did you buy uh, Periscope even before it launched? What did you see? And, and, and this is now the second time you bought a video product before it launched. Um, can you, so you bought Vine prior yeah. to launching it. Um, so why'd you do, why, why'd you buy Periscope? And we can go back to Vine too. Yeah, sure. And maybe I can just back up and put this in the context of how we think about innovation. Um, when you think about innovation, um, I want to have lots of um, courageous entrepreneurs inside the company. And those people can be uh, people we've hired who are already inside the company, and they can be entrepreneurs we see in the world who we just feel like are doing bold things and courageous things and should be a part of Twitter. Uh, when I first saw Periscope, I think it was November of 2014, I, I, it was one of those instantly, um, it, was, it was like Vine, um, it was one of those instantly, this is going to be a powerful native mobile video platform. Um, a powerful native mobile video content creation platform, and it's gonna be vital to have the, that kind of content pouring into the Twitter ecosystem. And Kayvon's an amazing entrepreneur. I mean, he, uh, I'll, I can just tell you, and he can blush about it if he wants. Everyone on his team loves working with him and talks about what an amazing entrepreneur he is. It's, it seems like um, some of what you're doing is, is, is influenced by the fact that you wanted to buy Instagram and couldn't buy Instagram. I mean, do you think you're gonna be extra aggressive for the next couple of years trying to buy stuff in the hopes that one of these things blows up and you don't miss a chance to have the next Instagram? I don't think it's about one of these things blows up and you miss the chance. I think it's about there are all sorts of interesting native mobile content creation platforms and particularly interested in native mobile video content creation platforms. And I want to have a variety of those tools and engines for content creators to use in different and fun ways to enable all sorts of different rich content to pour into Twitter, particularly around um, moments, whether those moments are events or uh, planned events or unplanned events or um, topics or places, etc., those are going to allow us to curate uh, these moments and experiences and deliver those to users um, the moment they come to the platform. So, so when you're thinking of these these things you're doing, Kayvon, this has been an explosive interest in it and also Meerkat. How do you keep it going? Because is it is it something that could be something that's popular for a second and then Nobody does, essentially. It seems like it's died down a little died bit. Died down a little bit. How do you keep people interested in the platform? You don't have a ton of celebrities on it yet, using it like actively the way you use Twitter. Um, how do you? And in Vine, you have a whole different thing going on. Sort of an indie, uh, lots of lots of creators using it. And you know, I, as I said, my kids use watch watch certain people. So it's but it's not really a celebrity thing. It's more unusual creators on that service. How do you keep it from not be sort of a flash in the pan kind of uh, kind of situation. Well, I mean, from our perspective, we've seen engagement continue to increase, and it's been it's been actually really mind blowing for us. I mean, we, we ran some numbers um, earlier this week, and we found that on a daily basis, the aggregate amount of time that live periscopes are watched is about ten years per day of content. Mm -hmm. um, and in aggregate, since we launched, which has been just about eight weeks now, we've had three hundred and eighty years worth of live broadcast. How many people are, are streaming? How many people are watching? Most of the people are, are watching versus, it's, it's, I don't know what the exact breakdown is, but it's, it follows very similar to the 90-10 rule you expect. But, but I mean, how many overall users do you have right now? 
We haven't released those numbers, but and, and one of the reasons for that is the metric that we think is most telling of how people are using the platform and whether it's effective and compelling is watch time, because it captures how many people are watching and also how, how much they watch a particular broadcast. But how, 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 do you how do you keep it fresh, that kind of thing, rather than just, because people don't naturally, you have to have great content yeah. on this. It's a great question, and something that, that, to be honest, like we're still learning, right? But do you I need think, celebrities, do you need? I think you need a mix. I, we don't want to be just one thing. We don't want to be just a celebrity broadcasting platform. We don't want to just be a, journal, a platform for journalism. I think the beauty of Periscope and what excites us every day is that we have this spectrum. We have celebrities like Oprah and Ellen broadcasting their lives or their shows or whatever it might be. We have journalists covering Nepal and Baltimore. Um, we have you know, folks who you wouldn't have heard of you know, talking about random stuff. You have creative folks who, who are just creative that are either playing their instruments or, or doing creative games through Periscope in an interactive way. I mean, we, going into launching Periscope, we had our vision of like, man, it would be great to have this cross-section cross of things but we've just been blown away by the different use cases that we never would have imagined. I think that's the key, diversity and a lot of it, and c compelling creators of, of different kinds. And Dick, we're gonna move on to other things in a minute about you. Um, what was this? <laughs> you'll see. Um, I realized I had to put this in my right hand because I actually interview better with my left hand. Um, uh, how, do you, how do you keep that fresh from your perspective? Like, do, do you have to get Katie Stanton to real, does it have to be celebrities, does it have to be, I mean, do you, have you put enough resources behind Periscope because there was some complaints it didn't have Android fast enough, it didn't. Uh, I thought that was remarkable, they launched Android with remarkable speed on the heels of being a company of originally five people who had just had an iOS uh, development team, so I was, delighted with the fact that that uh, rolled out Tuesday. Um, I think you, one of the ways you do it is through what they're already doing, um, highlighting and featuring the kinds of unique content that are on the platform. Um, the British Museum, I think it was, just the other day, gave this um, sort of docent-led tour on Periscope of one of their ancient uh, Egyptian exhibits, and it's such an immersive experience, you feel like you're there. And when you show people those things and highlight them and bubble them to the top, they start to realize all the kinds of things that they can do with the platform. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's the way you go about that. Uh, why, why is live, in, it seems like you guys think live just is inherently interesting, but it seems like one of the big advantages of the internet is you get to watch, or digital in general, is that you get to consume media when you want to. You don't have to watch uh, Empire at whenever Empire airs on Fox. You can watch it yeah, on I think VOD the next day. Yep. I, so I think the answer to that is, and I, I don't know what the magical thing about it is, but as I mentioned earlier, if you said to me, um, here's a video of Darren Ravel walking from ESPN, walking to his seat at the uh, boxing fight three nights ago, like, okay. But seeing it in the moment as he walked into the arena, for, as someone who paid for the fight and, uh, to watch it on, the, uh, on a nice plasma screen, it like got you really excited for what was about to happen. And experiencing that and being immersed in it while it's happening, and then also being able to sort of direct the producer, if you will, like, hey, turn the camera to the left. That's the magical thing about live. It's not the fact that it's live for the sake of being live, it's that you can affect the experience. It's breaking down that third wall, and yeah. you're watching Kayvon take, I was just broadcasting backstage, and people were saying, you know, show us the stage. And two seconds yeah. later, I point my camera and show the stage. That's the magic moment. It's not when you realize there's this blinking red dot. It's the fact that you as a viewer just made something. Because after a while, you're going to get tired of watching Darren Rovell watch, walk to his, well, his, his seat unless he falls down, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that may be what you were watching it for. Um, so I think that, you know, someone asked me on Twitter once, what's the big deal about Periscope? You know, you stream and live broadcasting has been around for a while, and my response was, well, those platforms are one too many, and Periscope is one with many, and I think that's the magic of it. Okay, we're gonna move on now. Uh-oh. 
Okay. Okay. There comes the finger. Here comes the yeah. finger. Are you going to have your job by the end of the year? <laughs> <laughs> Look, the board and I are totally in sync, and the man and I should say, and the rest of my leadership team I just go straight are to totally in sync about what we need to do. We have a very clear strategy that we've articulated uh, repeatedly. We're following that strategy. We're focused on the road ahead, and we're executing against it. And that strategy is a total audience strategy. So we have the 300 million monthly active users who log into Twitter every month, the more than half a billion who come every month and don't log in, so upwards of, they're right there, uh, over 800 million users who come to the platform every month, and then another, as we've said publicly, more than 700 million who see tweets and syndications. So we have a distribution platform that reaches that size audience. Amplifying that size audience across growing logged in, logged out, and syndicated is a massive opportunity, and that's what we're executing. So you say you're in sync with the board. Wall Street isn't in sync with you. Your, your stock's worth less than when you, you IPO'd a couple years ago, a year and a half ago. How, how do you convince Wall Street that what you're doing is the right thing? You have to focus on the long term and execute against that long term strategy and show them that you're continuing to execute on exactly what you said you were going to do. Um, and that's what we're doing. You also have to make sure you have the right team in place. I don't think the team has ever been stronger. One of the things I focus on as a manager is constantly trying to improve the team. You've, you've changed the um, team a lot. Yeah, since yeah, yeah. Oh, well, um, we've made changes when we need to make changes. Um, and do, you think that's given, great... do you think it's given Twitter a sense of too many changes, too much? I don't, I don't think about it that way. I think about put it, having the right people inside the company who are uh, best suited to work together on whatever the next step in the company's life is. Anthony Noto, bringing him into the company, the guy's just, a, you know, he's been an, he's been an amazing, um, um, he's super high bandwidth. He's able to do multiple things. I mean, didn't just bring him in to be the CF, just the CFO and an accountant. And he works so well with the product engineering team and Adam Bain and Katie Stanton on the media team. Um, that that's what you look for as a leader, putting the right people in place to execute the strategy. Where do you, sorry, go ahead, Peter. You guys made a flurry of changes, product changes this spring, um, and, you just, and you just did a, a Google, the Google deal just went live. Are, are any of those now showing actual lift? Can you say, oh, we're, we've, we've added this many users, we've added a, this much engagement because of stuff you've, you've made, because of changes you've made to the product? This well, I would, I, would, I would just point you to the comments I made on our last earnings call about that. Um, I'm focused on continuing to execute and improve that pace of execution. The beauty of improving the pace of execution, which I think we've done wonderfully over the course of the last six months, is um, it gives the team courage to be more bold, knowing that those bolder choices will be executed against just as purely and uh, precisely as the recent changes were executed against. And that's what I'm seeing inside the company, and I love that. And let me get back to the pressure, pressure on you as a CEO. I mean, you've got Chris Saka blogging something or other over here who is a big supporter. You've got Wall Street. There's con there seems to be a constant swirl around it. How do you, what do you, why is that happening and what part of that is your fault and what can you do to fix it? Uh, look, as, as a CEO, you have to balance, I think, two things. And this goes for, doesn't matter if you're a public company CEO, startup CEO. You have to balance... Um, grit and resilience um, with, um, with self-awareness. If you just have self-awareness and no grit or resilience, you're going to be over in the corner with your hands over your head. Um, and you know, if you just have grit and resilience but no self-awareness, you're liable to be delusional and uh, spin the company uh, you know, off its tracks. And 
I, I think about that. I think about those kinds of things. I ask myself the question, are we doing what we're going to do next because it's the right long-term thing for the business, or are we in reaction as a team or a company to some, to some short-term incremental demands? And I'm always trying to make sure we're making the long-term bold choices that best serve the strategy, and that's all I can do. Is, is some of this a, 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 just an effect of the way you position the company sort of as you went out uh, to go public, as you talk to banks. I mean, you've got 300 million users. You did, what, $1.4 billion in revenue last year. It's a pretty good-sized company. Um, if you weren't being compared to Facebook, and if you hadn't said, we're going to be as big as Facebook, effectively, we're going to be a global, worldwide company, wouldn't you be in a better spot now? You'd have a very big, uh, you know, highly valuable company. Well, you have certain kinds of metrics you have to report. When you file your S1, and the SEC gives you their comments back, they say, you know, you have to talk about this. So there's certain kinds of metrics you have to report. And then as we execute against that total audience strategy, because of the broad reach we have, you also want to make sure you've got the capabilities inside the company and the partnerships outside the company, like the Google partnership, that are going to drive that total audience. So you're not just giving them another different number uh, that you don't understand how you're going to innovate against. And I would also add to that that the interesting thing about the moment we're in now is I think that people believe the strategy and they buy it. But we have to show them, okay, that's great that you reach this multiple, you know, over a billion people on and off your site. Help me understand how you're going to monetize that. Show me how you're going to monetize that. Help me model for my, when I put out, when I create my models for your platform and its growth over the next few years, how we should model that. And those are things we know and we need to show them but how to do it. seems like you've got a very big core of people who really love the service, who really, who really enjoy it. Why not concentrate on, on maximizing the value of those people? I mean, I assume most He's people in this audience. why not be a smaller, better company? So I think you can, I think you can have Thank your you cake her. and eat okay. it too. I think you can, I think we can have our cake and eat it too. And it's all about um, migrating <clears throat> the company from purely a world of being tech-centric, uh, follow-based, reverse chronologically focused to a mix of uh, that and expert-curated, media-centric, um, relevance-focused content. And by providing that additional kind of content, and in fact, driving new users immediately into those experiences, I think you can have it both ways. I think you can make the core users who've loved it from the day it was tech-centric and only uh, 140 characters to a world in which people who come to the platform for the first time get it right away. Right, but would you be remiss if I didn't <clears throat> ask? Have you held discussions with other companies to be bought? No. Well, so let me, I would say this. Um, we have every intention of being an independent a private company, and those things you read about in the press are simply not, are simply, are simply rumors, not, not facts. All right, and in terms of what you need to get, you've bought this company. You're trying to bring innovation in. What do you need? Do you need to buy more things to bring innovation in, or do you think you have the team in place at Twitter to do that? You want to do both. You want to encourage people inside the company to be bold and courageous and then make it show the rest of the company that you reward that kind of behavior and those bold choices. And then you also want to look for courageous entrepreneurs out in the world like Kayvon, like Valerie Wagner, who is the CEO of Zipdial, who's just joined us. She is one of the most courageous entrepreneurs I've ever had the good fortune to work with, um, like Josh McFarland from Telepart. So you want to foster all of that internally and bring them in externally when you find them. And again, you didn't ask my question, will you be there at the end of the year? Look, I'm in, 
I have to focus on my job and what I've got ahead of me. I don't worry about like, am I gonna be working here on this date or am I gonna be working here on that date? Mm -hmm. I focus on my job. And you feel you're in sync with the board, <laughs> you're saying. Sorry. Well, I don't feel like I'm in sync with my board. I know I'm in sync with my board. Um, the board and I communicate regularly. <clears throat> One of the things I do is probably over-communicate with them and we're thoroughly in sync. Great, last question on diversity. Do you want... We can look about the audience. Yes, we want the audience. But we do have to ask the diversity question. How do you think you're doing on diversity? I think the entire industry has work to do. And so when I think about this specific to Twitter, there are three things we're trying to do. Um, one, um, really focus on the kinds of internal teams and, um, and um, efforts from internal teams that we can use to enhance the work we're doing to build the pipeline of diversity. Um, specific to women in engineering, having women engineering teams, having a leadership group that spends time with the women engineering team, having uh, mentorship programs with some of the women leaders in our engineering organization, um, doing that. External to the company, trying to focus more on bringing more diversity candidates into the market. So we work a lot with girls who code. We work a lot with tech women. Um, and then finally, I think that you want to start to do things like um, really think about what are the right set of universities we should be interviewing at and recruiting at, not just the ones we've traditionally recruited at because that's where everyone else recruits? Um, what are the things you can do to really make sure the team is always thinking about it? A fascinating observation I made last year was I tried to get everyone to read the book Thinking Fast and Slow by Kahneman because I thought it was a great way of getting you to be aware of um, biases, mm -hmm. hidden biases, selection bias, success bias, et cetera. What you learn is, and what the, research I've, the other research I've read is, that even when people are just aware of those, if there aren't motivations in place for them to act on it, they kind of just don't. They go, I'm aware of this bias, but then they uh, continue down the path they'd had before. So you have to put motivations in place to make sure you're driving diversity candidates into the pipeline itself. And how, how does this play out as a product? There's, uh, in my feed, there's a, a constant sort of stream of complaints about Twitter's not a particularly good place to be a high-profile woman or person of color or minority. How are you doing at that? Well, I think we're, I'm completely proud of the team's work on abuse and harassment on the platform. Um, I was very publicly, made public uh, an email I sent out to the company where we weren't doing a good job on it. Um, the product innovation, the policy innovation, and the combination of the user services team, the policy team, and the user uh, safety product team work just over the last couple months has been extraordinary, and I'm delighted with it. Great. Okay, questions from the audience? Yeah, Dick, real quick. Uh, you guys do great as using the feed for news, but uh, Facebook's just launched instant articles, and there's monetization for publishers. There's no paywall issues. Uh, do you need to respond to that, and what do you think about the Facebook product? Well, I think it's a, a fascinating idea. Um, it's obviously the case in the world of apps that um, these native, rich experience that you can have in-app are compelling and uh, are, are obviously take less time. Um, and so those are things we think about um, and we work on in our own app, and we have a number of things underway with content partners to um, make that more powerful. Do you imagine I'll be able to experience. consume an entire New York Times article on Twitter? I don't think of it as, I, I don't think that you have to think of it in exactly the same way. I think there are other things you can do to make it a rich, native, immersive experience that are just as helpful to the content partner. Hey, Peter, just quick follow-up. How about uh, monetization, just because you're shooting the publisher referral and, and Facebook's sharing dollars with you? Of course, well, we, we, I think, innovated on 
um, monetization for content partners within Twitter through our Amplify program that started with video, but there's no reason that can't be extended to all sorts of content. So I think we were actually first to market on that. Can I ask Kayvon, where do you see monetization for Periscope? We don't see it anytime soon. I mean, we think of it as we're eight weeks in, we're barely scratching the surface on the things that we want to do to work towards our vision. And if we can build a sustainable product that people love to use and want to use, that there's a there there. And do you imagine, can you just think of one? Commercials or what? I mean, we've had ideas, but... Um, Give me an idea. <laughs> what I will say is I'm not a fan of putting uh, pre-roll ads on live video. That's, I'm not a fan of doing that, because I think one of the charming things about Periscope is yeah. you get a notification that cares live, and you go right into it. I don't want to see a 30-second ad before I do that. I think that's right. You don't want to miss the moment. There are all sorts of ways. You can think about Vine and Periscope and these creation engines as input to some of these broader experiences across the Twitter ecosystem where you might monetize that content in aggregate. Right. Okay. Michael. Hi, Mike Isaac from the New York Times. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, Niche, the service you acquired uh, earlier this year, and yeah. how you think about uh, creators on other services that are not uh, owned by you, like Instagram or you know YouTube, and, and how, how you guys want to sort of use that service. Yeah, I love Mike Isaac from the New York Times, by the way. That's I awesome. I know, isn't that? We call yeah. him Charmin so there that. still. So sad what's happening. Um, yeah. So here's, uh, thanks for that. Here's specifically how I think about it. We acquired Niche because um, it's my belief that native mobile video content creation is going to spawn um, this entirely new genre of emerging talent and content creators that will be able to build audience and launch careers purely through native mobile video content. And while well, I say it's my belief, I mean, I saw it happen on Vine, so it's my belief because I've seen it happen. Um, we are going to have a number of, we already have two of the most powerful native mobile video platforms in Vine and Periscope. And I wanted us to bring an organization into the company that could help us think about working with these content creators across all of these platforms, whether we own them or not, to help them build their careers and grow their audiences. And that's exactly what the niche folks are going to help us do. One, one of the reasons Facebook has been uh, so successful on mobile is their targeting abilities. How do you guys plan on improving your mobile targeting, uh, both for you, and how do you see the industry outside of Facebook improving mobile targeting? Um, well, I would say you can take any of these you want, by the way. This one's all you. <laughs> um, we target in a different manner, obviously, than Facebook does, where they target, target sort of demographically, if you will, generally speaking. Uh, we target more toward the interest graph, the picture of the accounts you follow and engage with, paints a very elegant or, and interesting uh, picture of the kinds of uh, things you might be interested in, goods, services, et cetera, and that's been extremely successful for, for us, as evidenced by the engagement rates we get on our ads. On the direct response side, one of the reasons we acquired Telepart was to um, um, add to the DR competencies we have in-house already uh, with uh, Josh McFarland and his great team at Telepart to help us improve um, measurability on the direct response side, uh, creative on the direct response side, and, and, and specific to your question, targeting on the direct response side. So we have work to do in all three of those areas um, on the direct response side, and Josh's team will help us do that. Dick, part of the, the pitch for the, the Twitter, the basic Twitter ad product, right, is you know a lot about me because you know what I'm doing on Twitter and who I follow. Your push now is to sort of grow the audience that isn't logged into Twitter. It seems like when you do that, you remove the special sauce that you have, that your, your ad pitch gets less effective. Not necessarily. When you think about expert curation of content, sort of um, people who might be experts at understanding what's going on around some event, like 
uh, whether it be Coachella, whether it be uh, a Ferguson, what have you. Um, as people engage with that content and other kinds of content, irrespective of whether they're logged in or logged out, you also get that interest graph picture for them. Okay, I'm gonna ask the one last question to you, put you on the spot. What do you think Twitter needs to do to really <laughs> thrive? I think Twitter needs to be um, more bold. I think Dick said it. I mean, I think that um, I think that they need to be ambitious about innovating and not slowing down the pace, if anything, increasing the pace and being experimental. There is a culture around experimentation at Twitter that is palpable that I've noticed in a lot in the two months that I've been there. And I think that, I mean, I don't know the history as well as Dick does, but I think that that's probably a newer thing, and I like that momentum. And I think that as long as that momentum is expressed both internally as organic growth and development and externally by being aggressive around being acquisitory with the right companies, um, I think that's the right balance of what Twitter needs. And what do you think Twitter needs? this? What is your biggest focus as CEO? I'm constantly, constantly, constantly focused with the product team on courage. And in product, in product review and product sync, which we have once a week, we have three 30-minute segments where I review what the team is working on. The question I ask most often and regularly is what's a bolder choice we could be making there? And what if you added this constraint to what you're doing that forced you to be more bold and creative about what you're doing? And I'm delighted with the kinds of things I'm seeing show up in that meeting and that you will very, very soon see show up in the product. Great, well, that's a promise. All right, thank you, Dick. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.